Welcome to Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Art. Where Wellbeing Meets Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Wedding and Where They Depart. And Where They Depart. Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Art and Where They Depart. And we're back with another guest, Mr. Steve Hopper. Normally, Steve, I ask people, well, I normally introduce people's job titles, but I know what you do because yes. I've been involved in the group that you've run that we'll actually talk about later yeah. because it's, it's really how the label came about. But can I ask you what you would call your job? What do you do and what are you working okay. on at the moment? So, yeah, sure. So my main work at the minute is I'm a coach, I'm a transformational coach, talent coach, creative mentor, small group conversation leader, facilitator. That's the main, that's the main business that I have right now. I'm also a photographer, a writer, but that's purely my own. I don't need commercial photography anymore. So we're, we're actually connected through music as well, but I also yeah. know that you are a professional sound engineer to the extent that you did four years with Van Morrison touring, doing his monitors, and were the levelers yeah. front of house engineer for a long time. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you the overall picture, right? Because it is a bit of a wild story. When I think back, it all been a bit of a goose chase. So I, I was recruited from school by the Foreign Office and spent the first 12 years of my working life working for the Foreign Office in communications, technical security, and the technical side of counter-espionage for the Foreign Office in government communications and stuff. So... This was long enough ago that it was still the Cold War and it was also before everything became about computers. And in the 1990s, it all became about computers and government IT. And I realized I was going to shoot myself or someone else go completely postal if I didn't get out. So I left in 1995, aged 30, and been freelance ever since. I ended up mixing and doing shows. In the last few years I was working at the Foreign Office, I got a Macintosh computer that somebody else paid for in 1990, and it's a good job, because just the processor unit cost six and a half grand in 1990. I got loads of computer skills, Mac skills, graphic design, technical writing, and Photoshop, I had a really early version of Photoshop. And so was, on one side, I was doing touring as a sound engineer and music. But when I was at home, I was doing kind of marketing, graphic design, anything you could do with a Mac. Went on from there, got involved in the startup business that eventually crashed and I lost my shirt. And, and then that's when I kind of got into my holistic transformational work and discovered my thing as a coach, did quite a lot of training as a coach. And then I've got rid of all of that. And now it's the coaching small group facilitation, and my own work as an artist. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But how do you end up doing Van Morrison's monitors? We'll maybe come back to this, like how the hell did that happen thing of mm. like joining the dots retrospectively. But I think the rough trail of things was I, I did a lot of work in Christian music for a while because I was kind of well into born-again Christianity and stuff in my 20s. And so... I knew quite a lot of people in that scene. I met a guy who had a, the biggest, what turned into the biggest production company in Ireland, great guy called John Willis, and he had a company called Production House. And John gave me a call one day saying, oh, Van Morrison's fired his entire management and live production team, and we're putting together a new one. You want to help me put it together? So, so that's how we, and so for the first year or so I was on the gig, I was kind of flitting between front of house and monitors, 
there's a team of five or six of us that form the new product the live production team rob coles who he is the regular front of house engineer for the levelers and i ended up depping for him when he was really busy with hugh laurie and sisters of mercy and other stuff and so i ended up for several years just doing well over half of the shows with the levelers that's good to know because you know people do wonder how how these situations occur and and obviously i know we're going to talk Me about too. this yes so so look okay, you know the word transformational coach it's i mean most people are going to say what what is that pretty can you useless, tell us really is coaching in general there's loads of different kinds of coaching where it came was from sports into business in the 1960s and 70s where people realized that a lot of the skills and qualities and the art and science of coaching that have been developed in sports and performance was perfectly applicable to people in leadership in business and you know in teams and so coaching uh, here's my best metaphor and this came from a guy called Werner Earhart way back in the 80s he, he said you know if the aim of a team or a star player their their job is to put the ball where it isn't to create openings and put a ball where it isn't because anyone can put a ball where it is because it's already there and any kind of technician or not very talented person can just kind of play the game but to really create openings and create possibilities and spot what other people haven't yet spotted as something that could happen that's the art of great play of creating openings and exploiting them so if a great player if a great player's job in sports is to put a ball where it isn't a great coach's job is to enable a player to get really good at that to get way better to understand what it is that they're involved in and so in the creative domain whether that's in creative arts in music or in writing or in filmmaking or whatever or in business in entrepreneurial business or in team leadership at whatever level there's a huge creative element putting a ball where it isn't creating something that doesn't pre already exist or may exist but doesn't exist in quite this form and the great talent and great creative ability is about bringing into existence stuff that doesn't already exist and my job is helping people get even better at that they may have a natural talent or a natural aptitude but my work as a coach is about enabling people to get really deliberately good and about putting balls where they are so to speak that's the metaphor okay so so given that to be able to perform that skill of putting the ball putting it where it, mm. where it isn't and where it, it might not even belong in most people's minds yeah presumably you need that you need a, a huge you need so much availability right so then from what i understand you're also dealing with our relationship to thought and yeah you talk so about so so here's aspect? so here's where the transformative bit comes in okay so there's all sorts of coaching there's coaching that's about helping people get good at a particular task or a function or a skill or a role and there's a big crossover there between mentoring which is kind of passing on existing skills and, and experience that you have into new people coming with you or after you and helping people to to yeah to develop their art and their develop their ability in a particular goal or a particular project or a particular objective okay so that that's one kind of coaching then there's another kind of coaching which is 
you could call some people call life area coaching like like how to be better in leadership how to be more effective in key kind of relationships how to be better at in sales or in this and you get all sorts of coaches who specialize in particular pursuits or disciplines which is, again is great that's not what i do though what transforma- transformational coaching is getting a deeper understanding of how we're wired as human beings about how we function the basics of how we experience and how we create how we know what we know or how to discover what we don't know but could know if you by giving people a, leading people into a deeper understanding of the nature of thought the nature of consciousness the nature of awareness what you're helping people to see is things about the human experience that are hidden in plain sight that we can't see really easily and and that when you point them out you say how the hell did i miss that how did i not know that it's about discovering what's already true that's nothing to do with you it's there because there's all sorts of things in life that are just true whether you know them or not and then you discover them and it's like how did i never see that and they make a big difference in how we are as people how we are as creatives how we are as leaders how we are in generating what it is we want to bring so transformational coaching isn't about better technique it's not about methodologies it's not about prescriptions formulas it's is pointing out how we the basics of how we function including these fundamental principles of thought and consciousness and how they interplay being able to see ourselves and how the mind this amazing thing we have as thinking feeling creatures how do we how do we really play that game game of being human and particularly this game of creating the new bringing the new into being if i was i mean let's let's assume we've got a new you've got a totally new client that first session what's going on there i couldn't say specifically because part of the way i work is that you old enough to remember what an etch a sketch is do you remember etch a sketches you know like oh, i love etch a sketch you know, i love sort it. Of really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well you know like when you shake the etch a sketch and a picture goes away for me every conversation with a client is like that we start by sh- i start start by forgetting or try letting go of everything i think i know about the person what we're doing everything else and allowing in that space a, a spontaneous conversation to happen which itself is a very creative journey so i can't say exactly what i do but i could say that i'll if i can shut up long enough i'll probably know what to do in that moment and we'll set off and the conversation will emerge or evolve as we go along nobody ever got clearer and more effective in what they do by thinking so much about their own thinking that all they can think about is the thinking they've got about the thinking they've got this is a beautiful metaphor that i got from michael neil who's a great brilliant coach and writer and it is like those snow dome things you know like the you know the you shake them up as things settle you can see what's there so the aim of every conversation is to just let all everything settle and sometimes things go really quiet for and in that quiet listening we we have the ability to hear things that we might have been hearing when we were really up in our heads in this tornado of thought and feeling and and ideas and concepts and in that 
quieter listening and conversation space. Something emerges that there wouldn't have been space for before. That's the idea. That's the general idea. So if I was sitting down with a new client, obviously there's some, there's some basic getting to know each other. And there's also some basic agreement in place as well. You know, like, like again, it was Michael Neal who described transformative coaching as the art and science of loving disruption. In other words, it's my job to point, to disrupt the direction or the flow of where people are very caught up in a particular, in rigid thinking that they can't even see is thinking. They just think it's absolutely real. And my job in part is to, I call it, lovingly sticking a broom handle in the front wheel of their thought bike. This may involve a bit, you know, flying through the air and some, and some crunchy landing, but part of what we're doing is disrupting the patterns of thinking that have us so limited and so boxed in without even knowing that we're limited and boxed in. Okay. So I Would mean, that be a good starting you, point? Uh, yeah, great starting point. I, uh, there's quite a lot there to talk about. Yeah. Firstly, the way that you were talking about it, it sounded like we, we were going to go into a little jam session for the first time, you know, and I was sort of suss yeah. out what sort of music you like and kind of you start playing something yeah. on the bass and I'm like, oh yeah, I can join in with that. And, and we kind of just sort of start... Yeah. Start making a tune together, and and then you sort of well, like, sit well, like any on. improvisation. Like mm. I, I've never done improv acting or anything like that, but I've, I've always thought oh, it'd be great to, you know, to do some of that. But how improv works, so I'm told by people who do do it, is you do have some basic rules. You have some basic parameters about ball passing and and, and those kind of things, and those parameters are just enough to provide a minimum viable structure for something to emerge completely fresh. And that's, to me, that's the essence of a great conversation, an emergent conversation. It's not a discussion, certainly not an argument. It's not a challenging of opinions. It's not a personal sparring kind of thing. It's like, let's set some basic rules for a conversation that could go somewhere that We've no idea at the beginning where it could, we might have a hunch of where we want it to go. And obviously there is a purpose, like why we're here, why we're we having this conversation. Well, you're up against, you're bumping up against something. You're, you've kind of hit the limits of something and you know you've hit the limits of something and you know you're probably missing some really useful points. You, you know, you can't see. So the whole idea of the conversation is not to get, the idea of the conversation is to kind of, get some elevation, get some altitude. Not just on the situation, but on the whole human experience. Because if you can see what's true for everyone, for what, what comes with the human condition in the nature of thought, the nature of feeling, the nature of experience, you might see some things in that that make a lot more sense of your actual situation on the ground. You're listening and, and watching about how their relationship to those things, including the thought and their experience, is then affecting them because you're, you're listening out for that because of what they're saying to you right? yes um, yeah, and that's so absolutely. interesting because that you know because we got into a conversation during lockdown right that you set up and it was yeah. a webinar and it was really i mean i felt like what we were doing every week with you never know was talking about our relationships to thought and feelings and experience how how all those things are affecting our daily life and really the more that we did that the more that we could 
I mean, the more I really etched me, you know, I, I would then end up thinking. Well, shall, shall, I, shall I use the kickoff point for that? You never know webinar. Shall I use that yeah. as an illustration of, of a? That's webinar? brilliant. Okay, so yeah, one of, yeah, great. Yeah, so so I I was really struck a few years ago. I listened. I watched on YouTube, and it's not, you can see it on YouTube. It's a recording of Steve Jobs, the late lamented Steve Jobs, giving a commencement speech at Stanford University, and talking about the the trail of sort of difficult and unfortunate circumstances where yeah you know, he he'd been adopted by a working class family but the conditions of the adoption was that they had to put him through college and that's a big ask in America for a working class couple to you know to save up and put a kid you know through a college when you're talking fifty thousand dollars a you know a year or whatever college fee so he ended up they did it he went to college in the first semester he realized he was in the wrong place doing the right, you know this just wasn't going to be value and he didn't want to waste their money so he dropped out of the course he was doing but while he still had rights to be on campus and while he was figuring out what he wanted to do he ended up signing up for a calligraphy class and in calligraphy you know just because he'd always he'd sort of, oh that sounds interesting and he fell in love with calligraphy and with typography fast forward a few years later he done computer science he'd met steve wozniak they'd formed apple become a huge success and the, and when they created the macintosh computer the re one of the reasons it was so successful was it was the first time anyone had built in typography like what you see is what you get typography into the fundamentals of how a computer actually works because up until that time and i remember it was painful when you use the word processor what you had on the screen and on the page was nothing like what it came out from because there was no fonts no design no typography it was really basic really primitive and so his point being that that random thing of ending up in a calligraphy class at university while dropping out from his first semester at university was a key ingredient in what the made the macintosh the huge hit that it was okay in other words now when you look back you can turn that into a narrative the story of how he did this and did that and didn't do this and didn't do that and how it turned out really well so retrospectively it looks like a story that's you know like somebody was following a script following a plot but he but and the point he said it you can't you can join the dots looking backwards but then we think well how do i join the dots going forward you can't forwards doesn't exist yet the future doesn't exist yet you create the future as you go along and most of it if we're really honest and humble about it is a sequence of at best happy accidents and a lot of them unhappy but you can't join the dots going forward you can only join them up going backwards now that is a perfect example of how we're wired as human beings because we don't realize that our mind creates stories. We live in a story the whole time. That there's this character called me living in the story of my life. And we're so, we take that so for granted, we can't hardly see for more than the odd moment that our mind makes that up completely. The only place that's true is in the human mind. You look at an animal, like a dog, for instance, or a seagull or whatever, they're not living in the story of my seagull life or my dog life they don't have that capacity that facility like we do if they do they're doing a pretty good job of keeping it quiet so when i set up that webinar called you never know it was about how we 
create our future, the, the nature of the human creature and how we create and bring into being that which we'd love to create and bring into being, but don't know how. We're completely clueless. And we think that it's got to be sort of like, we're told that it should be like an engineering project. Like, okay, you've got to have a goal, you've got to have a vision, you've got a blueprint, and you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Well, good luck, because life just doesn't work like that. There's way too many variables involved. At the best, you're blundering through an unknown landscape with stuff coming at you all over the place. And when you look back, and the starting point for this webinar was I got all of you who came along on that first couple of episodes of the webinar, and they were episodes, to look at the story, to tell us the story of your life, how your working life had progressed. And for all of us, it was a collection of coincidences, missed opportunities, taken opportunities, doors that opened and then slammed on your nose, all sorts of things. People you happened to meet, who you happened to hate or happened to like, or ended up doing this or doing that with. It was all kind of a complete bodge job, but it worked out to where you are right now. And then rather than thinking, well, the future is going to be a bodge job as well. I'm making it up. It's an improv. We think, okay, well, then all of that might have been a real mess. But now if I really get my shit together, I can plan going forward, control this. And co no, it doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work. There's just way too many variables. So if there's a skill involved in navigating forwards, it's the skill of being completely cool. It's the art of being completely cool with uncertainty, not knowing, with uh, being mystified, like not being able to see more than the end of your fingertips in the fog, and being able to handle all of the doubts and uncertainties that come with that, and still make your way forward and create something worth creating as you go along, without being a victim of how life works or seems to work and so that's the perfect example of how see, as human beings we can't help but superimpose what we think we know over everything that's going on and then think we know what's going on that's part of the human wiring we don't know what's going on most of the time and we're certainly not in control of it if you think of all the things that have really shaped you as a human being and your life and the form that it's taken up until now, you were in control of about zero of them, really. And a lot of things, you know, there, there are some things you may have had a say, but certainly not until you came to a certain age, because all the decisions were made for you, or they weren't even made, whether you ended up where you ended up being born, to whom you ended up being born, your family, your conditions, the socioeconomic stuff, the political stuff, the age you were born in, all the fundamentals of your early education. You had no say in whatsoever. You just kind of were thrown into the game and woke up mid-play. You know, like one of those, what was it, like the pilot who had a nightmare, that, you know, who dreamt he was flying a plane, and when he woke up, he was. <laughs> it's like, you wake up in the middle of it, they could, shit. You know, I'm in the air, it's all happening, it's all going on, and you wake up and it's like, okay, where do we go from here? You know, what struck me in that conversation and what and what you've just said is the the living paradox because, you know, although we can't control yeah. anything, we have to try and do stuff, don't we? We Otherwise nothing happens. So it's not like you're not living in this weird world where you're not suggesting that we don't actually do anything because it's not up to us. It's more like, we'll try that, but know that, you're just trying it. 
<laughs> you'll see what happens when yeah. you it's, it's is, that, is that the case I, I find this yeah. comes up yeah well it's, it's really one first thing i'll say is this, it's really interesting that as soon as you get into this conversation one of the first things people come back with is like well am i just supposed to sit there on the sofa with my legs crossed in the ground of in a cloud of green meditative haze or something you know like just let life happen no you know yeah, that's the most unnatural thing to do because when you realize what you are capable of as human being and what really participating and engaging in life looks like you can't help but act it's in human in human nature to act now it does help if you just actually if you can act out from somewhere quiet and considered rather than very in your head and panicked and with all sorts of assumptions about what you should be doing but you can't not act as a human being you can't just opt out like that and even if you think you're opting out you're not opting out you're opting to opt out or kid yourself that you can opt out you can't life is a contact sport it's an engagement game so that's the first thing that, uh, that i'd say there but what does seem to me as true is that if we do understand some of these fundamental principles of how we experience as human beings and what how we're made it makes far more sense of the game that we're in if we can get really quiet like really spacious in that space we are our most sensitive intuitive inventive creative intelligent and the best able to notice what's going on and how to play it even though we have so little control of what's going on so i'm going to give you one of my favorite metaphors so my partner catherine has been sailing boats since she was eight or nine her parents were sailors i'm a novice i'm still a relative newbie so i'm out there on a boat how much control do i have over the tides none the waves none the wind none i'm out there in in an environment where i have no say in what's actually going on in terms of the environment but the art and the science of sailing is that you got some basic tools on a boat you got a rudder you got a keel you got a sail and you got some lines ropes that you use to control the things on the boat even though you don't have any control over the environment and what's acting on the boat you can learn how to sail where you want to go even if it's in the opposite direction to where the wind's coming from now that to me is uh, a it's amazing like i was always puzzled how the hell do people sail up wind somehow rather you the wind and the force of the keel the, there's a physics of it the science of it that enables the boat to move towards the wind how does that work it's amazing it's not exactly magic but it does feel magical so even though you don't have any control of the environment you can skillfully get in the way of the wind and it take you where you want it to go so there's an art and a science of sailing which is the art of skillfully getting in the way of the wind so it takes you where you want it to go even if it's going the other way and even if the current and the swell and everything else isn't going you don't have any say in that but you can still navigate within it it's called navigating firstly when you say things like real quiet let's get really quiet now i'm i've been meditating for nearly 10 years i was also learning drums for you know playing drums for like 20 years and you understand what that means so maybe musicians understand that the conscious mind is not telling you you're about to fuck something up or you know that thing but there's other I can imagine you approaching someone with this whole conversation for the first time. I'm really interested yeah. in their 
in the harshest reactions that you get? A common starting point is your personal life and your well-being, your mental health and your spiritual life and your personal relationships and your grounding in life as a human being your creative urges and the stuff you'd love to do whether you've started doing it or not whether you've even admitted that you want to do these things or whether you're really very developed as a creative force and how that translates into work and life and business and generating your livelihood how that all fits together because one of the things i notice particularly in that creative area we put such an emphasis in our culture on our working life and on earning and on professional career. But the interplay of those three is a form, to me, is a form of basic health. That what a really whole human life looks like is whatever culture you're in, whatever the circumstances in, it, there is this balance of health in yourself as an individual human being and this urge that we have to bring something new, whether it's focused on solving a problem or addressing a particular need, or whether it's about whatever it is, something, we've all got something that we want to say and do with our life, while there's still time. This isn't, the older you get, the more you realize how quickly time goes and how precious life is and how quickly the sand is running through the time. I can't even remember what your question was, Brett. It doesn't matter. I love it. Let's just <laughs> let's just flow in it. So I look at my failures and and see. You know, when you were talking oh. before about the random the random happenings that can occur to get us to this place, and and when you actually look back on them, you're like, wow, that was crazy that that happened. For me, being where I am now, I can look at my failures and say, well, that got me here as well. You know, it's not it like you said, it's good Absolutely. and bad, right? But I also think, yeah. I, I mean, one of the questions that I've got in, in our, you know, sort of podcast framing is, well, what's your biggest failure? You know, it's, it's all good that we talk about how great life is now, but even now, you know, we'll go through our days and we'll have yeah. our days of it. Yeah, well, anyway. I'll be, I'll, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say probably it wasn't just one particular thing. It was a cluster of failure. The failure of my mental health under extended period of stress and meltdown about 15 years ago which was kind of connected with the failure of a 20-year marriage and some pretty messy stuff and and some yeah i broke down badly the kind of badly that some people don't come back from you know it's up to you how much you give away here but i'd love to know what breakdown means it sounds like it all happened in one go but it was a progressive thing and deep depression and the catastrophic kind of loss of confidence and capability where I became pretty well capable of, of working and, and supporting myself, breakdown of key relationships and classic symptoms of mental health breakdown, stress, crippling anxiety, confidence breakdown to the point d dysfunction and yeah, really not pretty really not pretty and but i realized that the threshold point was where and again a metaphor but it felt like i was on a i was a passenger in the plane of my own mind and nobody was at the controls that's pretty damn scary where under the weight of stress and fear you you become a spectator of your mind and where the mind's going is somewhere you really don't want to go and it's terrifying and it was terrifying enough 
for for me to just put my hand up and, and say, you know what, I, I need help. I can't deal with this. And it took a while to get there. It took you know progressive build up over years and months to get to that point where I where I realised I needed help. And that was the start of the journey. And there was some. And again, I sound like again joining the dots to make this a narrative. It was way messier. But at some point, I remember making a decision. You know what? I'll do whatever it takes to never cause myself and the people I love that much pain ever again. Mm, wow. I just picked up on something mm. there. Thanks for sharing that. Because it's, mm. it's, it also said you can see, see stuff when you're talking about it, I imagine. But mm. the interesting, what, what came up there, is a very subtle difference in what we're talking about with the power of being able to observe thought and see them and understand that I don't really, oh, that's a thought, that's an interesting one, but I'm not really going to base my life on that one then. Or some other thought yeah. that, wow, that's a fucking amazing idea. I definitely want to do that. But, you know, being able to, you know, you talked about the spectator. I can get what you're feeling out there, you know. So, yeah, as you point out, that a really healthy human being has the capacity to observe and notice the mind at work, but not in a dysfunctional, dysfunctional, dissociative way, but in a transcendent way, where you're no longer person lost in their own thoughts. You're somehow like, and I appreciate this is some weird language, so out with the woo-woo alarm, all right? But you're, you're an awareness, you're a conscious awareness noticing thought as something that takes place within the space that you are, rather like weather happens in the space of the sky. And that who you and I really are is much more akin to a sky in which weather takes place or a consciousness, a field of consciousness in which thought occurs. Now, see, that's, that's nothing to do with dissociativeness and breakdown and dysfunction. That's actually really super healthy. Because when you have a relationship with thought where you're not lost in the thought that's creating your reality, but you can see thought creating your reality in real time without falling for it, that's nothing dysfunctional or dissociative. To me, that is mental health at its best. Because your relationship with thought and feeling and experience is as it's designed to be. What I've just described as my experience way back then was I was completely unaware. I was creating my reality or this runaway freight train of a mind that was actually terrified. But what it was terrified of was something it had created. But I couldn't see that. That is a nightmare scenario. So I, when I was back in that really messy time, I, I contemplated suicide. But you know what? If I'm really honest, I didn't contemplate it for long because I realized it's something I realized, you know what? It's not that I don't want to live. I actually love life. I just can't live with this pain. That was a turning point because then when I, when my mind was throwing up suicide thoughts, somehow I could allow for that. that's what a distressed mind does. It wants it, it you know, it, it's anything to get out of the pain that it is experiencing. So on the few occasions since then where that's popped up, it becomes, oh, that's the suicide thought. Thanks, thanks for sharing. <laughs> but, you know, we're not going that way. The most essential 
thing that I'm thinking about what you just said now is that having a relationship where thoughts are a completely separate entity from yourself is so useful in terms of, I mean, seeing it as I can observe that thoughts are there, they're not me. I'm not those, and, and I've heard that phrase. There's something said, that you know. occurs with inside the human mind. So there was this wonderful guy, he's been dead a few years now, but a guy called Sid Max. He expressed it in what he called the three principles that underpin human experience. What he called mind with a capital M, not the human mind like small mind, but the mind of the whole, the intelligence behind life, the intelligent whole thing. You can't say what it is. Anything you say it is, it isn't, because you can't say what it is. Life itself, consciousness, which is awareness, the capacity to notice. But where, the more you try and look at what awareness is or what consciousness is, the more you can't say what it is. And you know when it's there, like you can't say what life is. But you know when it's there and you know when it seems to be absent. But the third principle or the third constant, the third non-variable was what he called thought with a capital T, which is the capacity to distinguish, to, 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 to create thing out of no thing, to distinguish thingness. Anything that you can think of is a thing brought forward from emerging from the fog of no thingness. So you have these, in other words, put a lot more simply, a lot more succinctly, you're alive, but you don't know what life actually is. You're conscious, but you can't say what consciousness is. And thought is making everything up, even though you don't even notice that. Thought is quite creating our reality, but doesn't seem to be, because it does it so well, it looks real. And so this capacity, this particularly this interplay of consciousness and thought, of awareness, which is noticing, what thought is coming up with is central to how we experience as human beings, but it works so well we find it really hard to see it. It's kind of hidden in plain sight. So, so thinking, I'm going to go back to something you said just a moment ago, which is that I don't know that we are designed in such a way that we can really manage our minds, like control it. I don't think there's a control like there isn't one for kids. <laughs> I wish. You know, but that doesn't mean that you can't influence, that you can't lead, that you can't somehow show up in a way that makes some kind of shaping direction of travel in which thought moves and flows. I wonder how much the meaning impact on your client work, you know, how much meaning they, they have in their lives. And, and then mm. to lead on from that, what, what you might define your your source of meaning because mm. for me I that's think a, that's, that's a great that's question bottom line yeah. question for all of us yeah. to answer it's interesting one of my first observation on that is that back when I was really struggling with depression the question of meaning was a central thing because when you're really lost and it means a lot to you you're making it mean a lot that you're lost then the meaning is really central. Meaning in terms of life purpose, but like, who am I? What am I? What's it all about? But as you ask that, I realize that I'm just, generally, I'm not in that question anymore. I'm just kind of doing my thing, making it up as I go along. I might take issue with that in a way, because I think that your, your, your meaning is just more intrinsic. You don't need to look for a meaning because you're just experiencing existence on such a clear, clean level now than, than where you've been and where I've been. I, I can only tap into this because I feel like, well, you know, yeah, I can hear that and say, well, maybe that, that is the meaning, you know. 
Well, let me come at it from a slightly different angle. What are we, what are we actually asking when we talk about meaning? And something that occurs to me is, well, please tell me I matter. Please tell me this means something. Please tell me I mean something. Please tell me that all of this effort and all of this energy I'm putting in actually adds up to something. Please. And that's not a new quest. You know, people have been, for thousands of years, people have been seeking and, and, and looking for what the meaning is in life, or if there is one. And like I say, I'm not coming here presenting any, oh, here's my findings. It's like, I don't know. But it's a re- it is a really interesting question. Because see, one of the reasons it's so significant in our culture is that we've grown up being told that meaning comes through productivity or meaning comes through accomplishment. Meaning comes through financial security. Meaning comes from having a really clear spiritual belief system or, or, or philosophy or an understanding of life. Meaning comes from all these different things. And maybe it comes from all of them, maybe it comes from none of them. If what we're asking for is for my life to be significant, like worthwhile, then maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it doesn't have to be. Maybe it just is already. We can't see it. Maybe it's a, a, a false quest that it, which arises, arises from this sense that we're somehow separate from the whole thing. Oh, we've kind of brushed over where well, we haven't really gone back in to, you, you know, you, 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 you shared a bit about, you know, the sort of personal difficulties, failures mm. is how we framed it. But how did you heal that and, and that process to getting to this point where we're actually having this conversation? Maybe picking out, you know, the significant movements from basically what you're saying, rock bottom, you know, contemplating suicide mm. to being able to chat like this. Yeah. Well, again, good question. I... I think the turning point was I did a, a like a weekend program at a place in London called the Concord Institute, which is has its origins in macrobiotics and whole foods and energetics, like yoga, bodywork, those kind of things, and has been in London since the 1970s. And then in the 19, you know, 25 or so years ago, incorporated into its work transformational work. And I appreciate that word transformational doesn't make sense on all sorts of levels. It's got hijacked and kind of co-opted into all sorts of meanings these days. But transformational in the sense of a study, an inquiry into the human nature, into human nature, the nature of the human condition and the nature of consciousness and thought in creating our experience and seeing how seeing the role that the mind, the human mind plays in creating the experience of me in the world, how the mind creates our ideas of what the world is, how the world is, who I am, what I am, and how it is for me in the world, and how that we live in stories, mind-created stories, narratives that make sense and give meaning to the human experience. And that was a really challenging conversation to get involved in it's very holistic it's in the body it's about allowing things to change at the biological level of being and not just at the psychological or the thought level and so did a lot of work with the concord institute and that was a game changer but then i also came across other people that have done 
transformational work of different kinds, including I mentioned earlier, Michael Neal, who's been a huge influence, Alan Watts, who died in the early 70s, but his writing and his lectures and his talks, hugely, hugely influential. Eckhart Tolle, and who wrote The Power of Now and The New Earth, all of which have kind of helped me along my journey of discovering a whole different way of being alive compared to how it was up until my up until that time isn't it mad this is why i asked the question about failures because looking back on it it's like so fundamental that you're basically broken and your life's broken as far as you, you saw at that point that's how you're looking at it and now off the back of that you've built a new life i mean even the word failure it's got a difficult insinuation. So loaded. It's so loaded. It, it's so me. loaded because that, and, and I feel weird saying that you, you'd fail there because that's not, it's not, it's, it's almost so final, isn't it? Word failure. I've failed. Yeah, it is. And actually, it's almost like you, there's no you know, going back on that thing, but actually that, that exact yeah. thing leads to, yeah. yeah. You can, you can really easily head off into meme world here, but failure is, an essential part of the evolution or the emergence of life. As in stuff you bump, you know, you look at water, I live right on the beach here and, and at low tide there's sand and there's rocks and there's also, you know, you see the water coming in and it kind of works its way across surfaces and it bumps into things and it can't get through it so it kind of goes around it. Well, in a way that's that feeling of that that's that feeling forward dynamic of trial and error and trial and success you know if it if the water bumps into a rock if a, and can't go through it and has to go around it it doesn't get all like oh my god i failed to go through the rock it just kind of carries on going all around it it just is the flow of things and so in that sense failure the word failure i, I don't really use it much because it's so loaded like something bad it's so kind of inculcated as bad but it's not it's mm. just what happens when you do new shit when you do new stuff some of it works some of it doesn't most of it might not work but you know what go back to that original metaphor putting a ball where it is you know if you're a football player there is all sorts of elements that go into creating space and creating opens and creating opportunities and i'm not a big football guy you know i love watching top level football when it's there and i marvel at how i mean we're looking at the game from like 70 or 80 feet above the pitch from the camera's eye view and and we can see the space that they're creating and the way that they're and all these things that they're doing. they're all pretty much the same height they're all going, I mean, how the hell do you do that when you're actually down on the ground on the pitch i've no idea but at some moment somebody will spot an opening that wasn't there a moment before and nobody else has seen and they'll take a slam at it and it might not be a goal it might be the pass that sets up a set piece play or sets up something an opening it's spotted now more often than not it will fail it won't work but so what failure in that sense is a fundamental element of an emerging game and sometimes failures usually when we're not listening to our wisdom and not listening to what we already know is true failures become catastrophic things get broken it doesn't necessarily need to be that way but it does seem a human nature particularly when it comes to ourselves and 
change, a fundamental change in ourselves, it seems like we're pretty committed to a crisis before we're prepared to pay the price, what appears to be the price of change. Call that failure if you like, but actually it's just part of the ongoing forward motion of life. I'd like to find a different word to use. I mean, it would be it bumps in the road or, you know, things like you said, you're referring to the water, but because it's, it's important to recognise when things haven't gone very well and, and whether, you know, who, who, what, whether I had any, whether I could have approached something differently. Yeah. And maybe that's essentially yeah. what we're talking about. Okay. I'm going to switch it up a bit now. Uh, we've got a couple of games to play. Do that, Brett. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I like to ask the guests about the, the classic dinner party scenario where you can invite three guests to your house for dinner party. Owen and I have got, we're, we're coming as well. Who would they be? Dead or alive? Dead or alive. One of them would be Rumi, the Sufi poet Rumi. Oh, well, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. What a dude. Just astonishing. Can you, by, by the way, would you say have... your favourite moment of Rumi's? Now you're asking. It will come, I'll have a moment yeah, yeah. that while we're talking. You've um, still got your guest list yeah. to sort out. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Watts definitely be another one along the way. Are you going to let him smoke his pipe um, in, inside? Most definitely. I might might join him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See with a pipe. Yeah. Who else? I don't know. Just as a wild card, maybe Freddie Mercury. I don't know. Or Kenny Everett. Oh, Kenny wow. Everett. Oh, yeah. Kenny Everett. Oh, I love Kenny brilliant. Everett. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just... Oh, yeah. Hello, darlings. <laughs> the bizarre guy. I wonder whether his comedy would... Probably wouldn't be allowed now, would it? It's not his... It's well, so, well, exactly. Well, you know, you know how he got thrown Brilliant. off. You know how he got thrown off Radio One, don't you? No, go on. When we were an empire, we had an emperor. When we were a kingdom, we had a king. Now we're a country, and we have Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> Without building within thirty minutes. That's for it. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Very good. So that sounds like a fun event. Watts and Ruby will, will get involved. They'll enjoy some comedy moments as well, as well as discussing uh, yeah, deep philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I the other that would, thing that I think that would be yeah. the starting point for the dinner party. Yeah, yeah. So the other the other thing that we're doing here as well is quite fun, especially as you were a musician. I've clocked the fact that you said you weren't very good, but we've jammed together. I think you're a great bass player. So I don't know what, what whether. And also that sort of feeling of not being very good is like, well, actually, was it just that you just were doing loads of other things and not just playing music all the time? And partly but, uh, also just, it's just yeah, an interesting. Yeah, sort of deep insecurity and self-consciousness are never a great look when right, you have an instrument around right. your neck as well. You know, so so yeah, uh, So I just went what well, what seems safe with what seems safer. And to be honest, mm. you know, I was better as an engineer than a bass player for sure. So. Kind of but yeah. no, luckily enough, in our new game, what we do, right, is we set up a band together, right, and we decide yeah. what, what the band is, a little bit of the branding of the band, and then yeah. we split, and then and then how how we all split up acrimoniously. So we're going to do this, right? <laughs> so basically, I look, you know, I'm a drummer. I'm favouring my position is I'm going to be knocking out kind of funky hip hop beats. You know, that's kind of stuck there now. So then, I mean, we've had Dad Rock. We've had lots of, we've had other other new inventions. It would, have, thinking, I have to, I, it would have to probably be Glam Rock. Glam, nice. It would have to be Glam Rock. Nice. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, my first album 
my first album I ever bought was Give Us a Wink by, by Sweet, by The Sweet, who up until right. that point had been, you know, like pretty much the kings of glam rock. And I think probably the second, uh, first, the second album I bought was Sheer Heart Attack by Queen. And just, oh. which was just in the preliminary as they were getting themselves in the in the pipe to produce Bohemian Rhapsody and Derek yeah, but they were quite glammy, weren't Sweet. they as well? Oh yeah, well it's that theatrical yeah. thing. I mean, glam yeah. rock, you know, like top of the pops glam, not so much. But you know what? That sheer heart attack, that Queen album, and that stuff around there, just like was amazing, just great music. And there was me, you know, like this nine-year-old preacher's kid with my you know, doing air guitar with dad's tennis racket, you know, <laughs> instead of going to church, I'm recording the top 20 on my, on dad's radio cassette while he went off to church on Sunday night to leave the show, and I, and I stayed home and recorded the top 20. That shows how long ago it was as well. Isn't it? So I'm just thinking, yeah, so uh, it would have to be glam rock. Yeah. And, and what we got to, we call it, we'd have like, to call what? ourselves something like span spandex gherkin or something like that. Wouldn't it? Or, or <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'd like a little illusion into what what you what we're doing now. So yeah, yeah, like the album title could be "The Power of Thought" by Spandex Gherkin. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. a little illusion yeah. into what what's going on now. Just say, nice. The Power of Thought by Spandex Gherkin. Beautiful, and it's just <laughs> glam rock. Love it. Okay. And this, I, this I mean, how are we going to complete means nothing? Yeah. How this are we going to complete nothing? Nothing does. Yeah. Nothing. Da- yeah, exactly. These are all these song titles that you can come up with in that yeah. frame is beautiful. It's almost a bit bit punky, isn't it? And then and then what? Well, how are we going to completely fuck it up? I mean, you know, just to give you an example that there's been, you know, do you think that needs it, planning, Brett? No, right, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we're called spandex gherkin for starters. Yeah, yeah. That sets nice. things on a certain let it, let disaster, it fuck itself it? up. Let it fuck itself yeah, up. I think that on its own. <laughs> Brilliant. That's superb. It's actually turning into be quite a fun game, this. So yeah, look, Steve, I mean look, we'll leave it there. I have I, mean, I have no have doubt we'll probably we have to we'll probably have a huge argument sorting out who's doing all the la- the layered vocals. You know, all those layers yes. you know, layers <laughs> and those stacked, stacked harmonies, you know. And and yeah. And yeah, could see lots of arguments there. But Brilliant. Yeah. Right, let's have it. So uh, I, I think we'll probably have you back at some point, but it's been a really massive conversation. And, and, and also, you know, thanking you from everyone at Disruptive Element Music for the fact that you didn't even know that you were going to end up with people setting up a business off the back of your weblog. So there you go. Well, there you go. But, well, I'm um, looking forward to receiving my shit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as soon as we turn a profit in the year 2048, we'll be in touch. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating. And if you want to help other people find the podcast, you can leave a review. Only takes 20, 30 seconds. That would be lovely. See you next time.